All right. There, um, there's a six-letter word that, uh, that this entire passage is essentially grounded in. Now, this six-letter word has, has its foundation in a word called pride. This six-letter word has its foundation in a concept, or the concept, that seems to be rapidly growing in our culture called um, self-serving. This self-serving pride. This word that seems harmless on the outside is the foundation of a lot of, if not all, of the problems and the issues that we see with society today and in many, many years past. That six-letter word is the word status. Status. You see, everything we do as people, essentially, is all about our status. Maybe it is our social status, our status, our social status within our workplace, our social status in our career, our social status in our family our social status financially, our status, how we appear to others. And going even deeper into that, we are objects of comparison. We always look at where others are and we try to be what um, I like to call one-uppers, right? We may not be so much out in the front as one-upper, but we're always comparing what we do to other people, comparing what we have to what other people have, and trying to find where we fall in this spectrum of the haves and the have-nots and where just exactly are we. And ultimately, we judge our worth, unfortunately, we judge our worth in the world based on materialistic things, based on our vision of the image of what that person has, what we have compared to them. And it has grown exponentially since the whole uh, explosion of social media, right? And I, just about everyone in here um, will either have a social media account or know someone that has a social media account, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whether it, what have you. And we see the perfect side of everyone's life. We, this time of year, we see vacation pics galore. Man, their vacation was better than mine, so I'm gonna post some of my vacation pics so that they all know that I had a pretty good vacation too. Or I'm gonna post this about my family and this, all the good things, so that the world sees where I am because ultimately, it's about social status. When it all boils down to it, you can point the finger at that word, that six-letter word, status. And I say it now like it's this big issue going on. Oh, my goodness. But, but let's rewind 2,000 years ago. Let's rewind to the scene that Roger just read about this husband and wife who was all caught up in that word, status. And that's what ultimately led to their demise. 
We don't know much, much other than what we've read about these two people. Maybe they had the best relationship ever. Maybe they had a marriage that was perfect. Maybe they had a marriage that was falling apart. We don't know. Maybe they were some of the most elite in, in uh, their community. Could have been, had the best possessions and could have had this great status already. But they wanted more. What have you? That issue of status led to their death. And I say that hoping that today our focus boils back and looks back at self-application so that we can grow from this. Before we dive more into this, let's pray one more time. God, I pray that you move, your spirit moves right now. Father, through these words, through this passage that we have before us, let it speak to us individually. Let us see ourselves in this and ultimately help us to grow, Father, more in obedience because of our love for you. Father, may a awe-inspiring, a healthy fear for your power, your majesty, be something we grasp today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's start with the first verse again, and let's look at what, what, what we have here. Remember what just happened, right? The um, Peter and John had been arrested, remember this in chapter 4? And they were essentially on trial, and they were released by the Jewish leaders because they were essentially fearful, maybe a status part in there too, because they did a good deed of healing this lame man, and they really did nothing wrong, and the crowd was kind of on their side, and they didn't want to lose their status, so they let Peter and John go. And ultimately, when they let Peter and John go, they went back to the fellow believers, and they rejoiced. And they prayed for more, for more and more of that boldness that essentially took them to trial. And when they left, remember what, uh, what, what Roger just read. If we'll pull that up, Acts chapter 4, the past couple of verses there. The last couple of verses in Acts chapter 4. If we're, let's read that together as we read through this so we have the scripture laying before us. In verse 34, I'll start there. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them and bought or brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And this was then distributed as, as each, any person had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus uh, by birth, was one of the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated, translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. They were, if I go back a few more verses, in verse 30, 32, it says, the believers were of one heart and one mind. They had this togetherness that you couldn't describe um, as anything that would be absent of the amazing grace of God. So, empowered by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit moving in this, they had this togetherness that was indescribable. They were of one heart and one mind. They were together on such a level that self-gain and self-serving uh, attitudes are gone because they are, as we, as we saw, getting selling their possessions so that everyone would not be a have-not, right? 
so that everyone have everything that they needed. Those that were in need, it was not a hesitation to sell their possessions and go help them. Well, Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property. They wanted to be just like this man we read about, Barnabas, which is a son of in encouragement. Maybe they wanted a, to be called a son of encouragement, daughter of encouragement. They wanted some amazing title like that, okay? Social status. So they were tempted to go and sell a piece of their property. Verse 2, however, there's this word that changes the tone. However, Ananias kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and, bought, and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet, similar to the fashion that Barnabas just did. Laid it at the apostles' feet, a portion of it. And then Peter asked, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it already yours while you possessed it? So in this, in this scene, it's, it's, he's not saying, why didn't you give us everything? How dare you try to keep any of it? What are you doing, right? Why, are you, why aren't you giving us everything? It's not that tone. It's, Peter is, has been revealed by the Holy Spirit that Ananias was lying, saying that he's giving everything. It's not the fact that Ananias didn't give it. It's the fact that Ananias lied, saying that he's given everything he has for this social status to be seen um, as great, right? So he gave everything, but they still wanted to keep it on their own. It's not that the gift wasn't big enough, but the heart wasn't what was driving the gift. If we go back to Proverbs 15.8, Proverbs 15.8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. The sacrifice of the wicked, and this is essentially what that's hinting towards. It's obvious that this sacrifice, this gift to the church, was not for anything other than social gain and social status. But yet they tried to hide it from God. So in this passage, there are three things that we're going to pull out. The first one is that we cannot hide anything from God. Church, let this be something you see in this. You can't hide anything from God. And as you've heard this many times, and if you've been in church most of your life, you've heard it over and over again that God knows your heart more than you do. He knows the numbers of hair on your head. He knows your heart. And knows your intentions greater than you would. And despite the ability that Ananias thought that he had to fool everyone, he came in to offer at the apostles' feet this gift. No one would know that he didn't give him everything he sold it for. Shoot, but we'll tell him that anyway. So he goes in, lays the gift, and they were discovered. As the Spirit, as scholars think the Spirit told Peter. They came uh, so consumed by the praise of others. Now, see if we see ourselves in this, people. We, we became, he became, they became so con consumed with the praise of others that they forgot the one praise that really matters. We become so consumed 
my people that we lose sight of God. So the second thing we draw from this is that we must love God first. We have to put God first and our, our perspective has to be on giving God the glory in our heart towards him. We must love God first. You know that six-letter word, that status word? We're social creations, and we want to make people happy. And uh, Wednesday I asked those that were there at our, at our Bible study, said, you know, who here considers themselves people-pleasers? Right? And most raise their hand. Who, let's do that here. Who, who, who thinks you're a people-pleaser? Raise your hand if you're a people-pleaser. All right. I want to be more like the ones that didn't raise their hand. Just do whatever, right? I'm a people-pleaser. I'm one to keep people happy. That's just the nature of who I am. I don't know if it's to a fault or not, but I'm always someone that is trying to keep the peace, for lack of a better term, to keep people happy because we're social creations. We got to see these people. We live in Bath County or we live in the surrounding areas in the community. Everybody knows everybody. So you're going to hear things, say things. We want to all get along. We're social creations. And God made us to be that way. We need one another. We, we depend on one another. The church is designed to grasp that need of people, to meet that need of God's people. Because we socially need to be able to grow, to edify one another. So that we can grow ultimately more in love with Christ because of that. But yet, we try to keep up with the Joneses. Y'all heard that saying, right? Keeping up with the Joneses. See, whatever the status quo is, we got to make sure we meet that. We have status, this false idol status. But then there's this term, status symbols, that ultimately helps determine where you fall in this status, right? Maybe your, a status symbol that you have might be a brand new sports car. Ultimately, driving down the road, you, all, you already get that image, right? Or maybe your status symbol or the brand new Nike Air shoes you have if you're younger, right? Or maybe not. Maybe the brand new truck dually you have. Maybe it's your house. Maybe you've gone, <laughs> maybe you have gone into such amazing debt, but that doesn't matter. Nobody knows that because I got the house that gives me the image of the status that I want. And the list goes on. Those are just the big things that jump out. But there are so many different things that point to who we are as status symbols. And this passage screams that. Status symbols. There's an article written by a professor uh, at the University of California. Uh, his name was Cameron Anderson. Here, in this article, it states this. And I found this very interesting. It said, not everyone may care about having an impressive job title or a big fancy house. Not everyone really may care about that, but, he says, all human beings, all human beings desire a high level of social status. Some way or another, social status matters. Regardless of how we approach this thing we call life, social status is there. 
Maybe we handle it differently. But our social status, we get fixated on this thing, this image that we have, the, the titles, the awards that we may have, material goods that we have, and the praise of others that we... Think about this. We get so focused on those things to convince others that we're good Christians, to convince others that we're good people. And we do those good Christian things, and we make such a great effort at doing those Christian things so that we look like a good Christian, everyone sees us looking like a good Christian, and all the things we say looks like a good Christian, that we ultimately forget to be a good Christian. You see where I'm going with this? Our focus can be so much on our image and looking like that person that we want to be, that we want people to think we are, that we forget to become that person that God wants us to be. Status is an idol, a, an idol that will pull our focus from loving, glorifying, and being in awe of God. And that's where we need to be. We need to shift our focus. Not to what people think but to what God thinks. Social status. I would, I would venture to say that status is one of the fiercest enemies of the gospel because one of the, the number one reason that people don't become Christians, you want to know the number, one of the number one reasons? Is Christians. Right? The other people that say they live that lifestyle, that do those things, I don't want to be a part of that if that's what it really is. We get this word hypocrite thrown up, right? All the time. Yeah, we all are. Yeah, we all are. Hypocrite's a Greek word used in, uh, in theatrical performances, right? That was a name for an actor. And, and in those theatrical performances, they didn't have microphones and whatnot, and they were in stadiums, and they had to speak extremely loud, and the people that were far away couldn't see the facial expressions of the actors. They didn't have the screens and whatnot and the cameras and all that, so they couldn't see, and they didn't know what the expressions were, so in that time, they would literally take these masks, essentially, large masks with facial expressions on the front of them so that the people could see what they looked like and how they really were feeling in that moment. So it's these facial expressions, it's this fake mask, fake people, right? Fake. That's that hypocrite thing comes up. Okay. We stay away from that. That's the reality, though. Social status is an enemy of the gospel because we are creatures of comparison. We want the world to love us to the point where, and like Ananias, we face death separated from God. Our focus is not only, is not entirely on God like it should be, but on in, in the world and what they think about us so that they think we're the good Christian that we need to be. So we try to impress others. And if this doesn't step on every single person's toes, then you're not being honest because I, I feel it too. We have this inclination to make people think highly of us. That's who we are. We're humans. We want them to think well of us. And if they don't think well of us, we're going to try to make it happen. Or at least I do. Because we want that strong, a positive relationship most of the time. 
If they don't think well of us, we avoid them and we just stay away from them and act like they don't exist, maybe. We seek that affirmation, that affirmation of others. There's, there's a, a, a passage in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. John, if you could pull that up, I'll put you on the spot there. In this, it gives us some direction on how we should handle this and how we should approach this thing called affirmation. It says, do nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition, self-desires, or conceit. But in humility, selflessness, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also have the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Count others more significant. That goes against the grain of our culture. Count others more significant than yourselves. You see, we need to go to Jesus to be able to do that. Well, who's the example? Jesus. Who's the model for this? Look at what Jesus did. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Count others more significant than yourselves. That's how you do it. You focus on what Jesus did, and you trust in him to do, ever, to do that. And going on with our scripture reading, after it was sold, look at what they said, right? Ananias, Peter asked, verse 3, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You've not lied to the people, but you've lied to God. Their sin was so unnecessary, okay, is essentially what he's saying. Why would you do this? It was under your control, except that pride thing. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came upon all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. Ananias dropped dead. About three hours later, verse 7, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Now, Peter did not condemn her to death. This is the Lord's doing. But instantly she dropped dead at his feet. And then when the young man came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and they buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came upon the whole church and all who heard these things. That's scary, right? Holy moly. These people are dying at the, in the church. They're going up there and giving what they got, and then they're getting struck dead. What in the world, right? This should be shaking and, and jarring and confusing and scary, and it was. Great fear 
came on the whole church and all who heard these things. You see, I would think that it would scare people away and this would ruin, this would ruin the growth of the church. Holy moly, people are dying on this. No. More were added to the number, as we'd read more into the scripture later. More and more would be added. Why? Because the third thing we'll pull from this and the last thing is that fear is an important part of our relationship with God. Fear. Not this trembling, hiding in a corner, stay away from me, I'm scared of you type thing. But this awe-inspired fear that is an, a, a fear that will drive our submission to God out of his great majesty. Still, in verse 14, if you did want to skip ahead, more and more people would believe. But God is this loving God. Why would he do this? If we get in the position in this relationship with the Lord and we see his great glory and for who he really is. You see, when we read the word of God, church, it is to fall more in love with God, to see more and more of his majesty, how much God is in control of everything. It's like, wow, it all makes sense because God is God. He has these things in the palm of his hand. My favorite definition of fear of God, and it's hard, it, 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 it seems hard to explain, but it's not. It's this awe-inspired intimacy with God. I am so awe-stricken by your glory, by your power, that you are in control, that I want to know you more, that I want to spend more time with you, because you are my creator, because you love me more than I know what love is, because you gave your son to die for me. I want to know you more, and I want to grow with you more. Help me to love you more. As Christians, that should be our posture in our life, in our relationship with the Lord, is for us to be so in awe, this fear is replaced with awe, this awe-inspired intimacy with God is what we should strive for. To fix our eyes first on him. We're going to worship together. We're going to close. If, if Brock would come up and we're going to sing a, one song of worship. There is, before we, do, before we sing, there is a, uh, the second verse of Amazing Grace. Right? T'was grace that taught my heart to what? Fear. You mean tell me fear is in the song Amazing Grace? We're talking about all this good stuff, right? Amazing grace, it, my chains are gone, you set me free. But this amazing grace that you have for me is causing me to fear. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, I feel relief. Fear is, is given to us not given to us. Fear is something that we have once we fall in love with God. His grace is so mighty that all the things that we have done, all those sins that we have committed to God, all those things we try to hide from God, just like Ananias was talking about. Just like this story. Why are we not stricken dead 
just like he was, just like she was. Why does he even give us a chance? Amazing grace. Grace. God loves us so much that he's patient with us. He's patient with us enough to be able to give us that time to repent. And there are people here today that need that. This thing called patience for repentance. So that we can turn from those sins that we hide from God and focus our eyes more on Christ. Today I want to I want to encourage you not to be like Ananias, not to hide our sins from God, but to have this genuine fear, this awe-driven fear of God, so that we can love him more because of who he is, because he loved us enough to give us his son, Jesus Christ. He loved us enough knowing that we had no chance to ever be reunited. We we're eternally separated from him unless he gave the ultimate sacrifice that would pay that debt that we owed. And that was through him, the incarnate. Jesus Christ came and died and died on the cross willingly for our sins. And if we believe, we commit our hearts to Christ. We believe in our hearts. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We will be saved. And that is the promise of the gospel. And that is the gospel that we all need to hear. And if you don't believe it, there's proof in his scars, in the wounds that he died, or he did, he took on himself for us, and that death he died on our behalf. Let's worship together. Let's lift him up together. Let's do so in such a way that takes the focus off ourselves. Let's sing together. Let's stand together and worship. I'm going to sing King of My Heart. <laughs> 